chapter 4, I want to say. Let's see, Hebrews chapter 4. Yep. So, <clears throat> taking into consideration uh, what we are, we are subjecting ourselves to the authority of God's word this evening. That's what, that's what we're doing. We're, we're learning, we're um, allowing him to do a work of um, sanctification, uh, to refine us, to strengthen us, to purify us, um, so that we may more clearly reflect his glory in our lives. And so this is the work that's taking place this evening. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, whether we are, as I, I say often, if we're encouraged, great. If we're strengthened in uh, where we, we are standing with the Lord, wonderful. And it's also wonderful when he reveals things in the midst of a study that is, that is not, um, that are not part, that is not part of his will. In other words, he reveals something in our lives that need to be confessed. And that's really the whole reason why these things are revealed in our lives, whether it be relational, whether it be personal, uh, situational, whatever it may be. Uh, he reveals these things to us in order for us to identify them, address them, confess them, repent, and, uh, and come alongside with the same character as our Lord. So, again, this, this evening we continue to study the time of the kings in the history of Judah and Israel, uh, specifically in the line of King Ahab this evening. His son Ahaziah is who we're going to be taking a look at. And, and Ahaziah, during his reign, will deal with several things. Number one will be the rebellion of Moab. And secondly, with this accident that takes place, which we're going to learn about, um, and eventually will prove fatal. Uh, but not before being confronted by Elijah, the prophet of God. So we've seen Elijah to be uh, obedient. He's a, a, an amazing servant of the Lord. Uh, he's considered a man of God, a prophet, and uh, he is used by God mightily. And we'll, next week, actually, we're going into um, that, that chapter that uh, addresses his, his rapture and Elisha's uh, succession of, of Elijah. And uh, so it's not a common succession, but it's one to where uh, a servant is really close to um, his, his Lord or his teacher, um, the one whom he's following, and uh, Elisha is, is blessed for that. So, but this evening, again, we're in 2 Kings chapter 1, so let's pray and we'll get into our, our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us to study your word. We ask that you would give us understanding, Lord, and that as we understand your word, that we see... Um, your compassion, your love, your mercy, your character, Lord, through and through. And also we would note the responses of various people, Lord, like that of um, the king of Israel, like that of Elijah, and also, Lord, the servants of the king and how they respond to the orders that are given to them. And so, Father, we uh, commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, says, After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from the sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. So <clears throat> up to this point, uh, from the time of King David up to this point, Moab had been subjected to the authority of Israel. All of these years, through all of the kings up to this point, that had been reality. That had been what had the relationship between Moab and Israel. Now, Moab, we need to understand where it is. If you take a look at Israel, uh, about in, in the, the central eastern section is the Dead Sea. Above that um, is the Sea of Galilee, and what connects them is the Jordan River. And it's a small portion just east of the Dead Sea, and it runs along the length of the Dead Sea. And the border extends from basically the mouth of um, the uh, Jordan River that goes into the Dead Sea all the way south to the end of the Dead Sea. So along the, the eastern portion of the Dead Sea, that's Moab. Above that is uh, Ammon. And, um, and so just so you have an idea of, of where it is. Now, the rebellion, it's interesting because verse 1 um, simply identifies, it speaks of the rebellion of Moab. Uh, but we are not covering it this evening. There is nothing in this chapter that speaks of the rebellion of Moab. Uh, chapters 1 and 2 deal with um, King Ahaziah, Elijah, Elisha, and then we will pick up in chapter 3, the rebellion of Moab, and we'll go from there. But the focus of this chapter is King Ahaziah, his idolatry, and the brief exchange that took place between him and Elijah. Now, somehow, Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper chamber as we See here, in other words, a second story upper loft, you could say, uh, he broke through the lattice. Um, so we don't have any other description of that except for that he fell through, he fell, and he was injured pretty severely. In fact, his injuries were, injuries were severe enough to keep him in bed and cause him concern for his own life. And so Ahaziah wanted to know whether he would survive or not, and it was common in that day to send um, messengers to prophets in order for them to give word as to the determination whether they would survive or not. And so this was common, and yet the one whom he sent for and to receive word from was the god of Ekron to find out what the answer to his question was. Now, Samaria, let's Think about the location of Samaria. If you, you think about Jerusalem, go from Jerusalem, go west toward the Mediterranean Sea, and you, you come, uh, actually, I'm sorry, north is Samaria, and it's uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Just west of Mount uh, Ebal and Mount Gerizim is Samaria. Ekron is south, and that's, that is toward the sea, is just west of Jerusalem. So now you have an idea. So you have Samaria, 
uh, going towards the Sea of Galilee. You have um, Moab, which is down southeast, and then directly across from there, you have Jericho, you have Jerusalem, and you have Ekron, which is clo closest to the Mediterranean Sea. Now, this is where King Ahaziah sent messengers to inquire of the god of Ekron to find out whether he would live or die. Sent them from Samaria up north and down southwest to Ekron. But immediately, while en route, the angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah and told him to go intercept the king's messengers. To ask a question and then to give them the answer with the reason as to why it was that King Isaiah was not going to recover from his injuries and would die. In this, as we read, there's several things I want to draw your attention to. First of all, King Isaiah was the king of Israel, and yet, keep in mind who this is. This is the king of Israel. These are God's people. Even though it was a divided kingdom, kingdom these were still God's chosen people. And yet he did not consider the evil ways of his father, King Ahab. He followed in his father's footsteps and did not personally trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He forsook the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He forsook the God who had delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh and of Egypt. And instead, he was inquiring of the God of Ekron. You know, when the king was in trouble, he sought word from his God. And whatever answer he received, he trusted. He trusted the word of an idol, which in reality, there is no word from an idol. Because an idol is nothing. There is no other God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the universe. He was expecting to receive word from Something that wasn't real. Talk about an imagination. To provide for him a form of comfort. He wanted to know contentment. He wanted to know satisfaction. But no matter how it came, it would be fleeting. For it was not real. And it was not true. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight as far as who Beelzebub is, the god of Ekron. He is the lord of the flies, a Philistine god. He was a god believed to have the power to stop the infestation of flies in certain locations. What a god, right? Would you seek a god like that? Like, my god can stop the infestation of flies in Riverside. I believe in him. Go send word to him. I need to know whether I'm going to live or die. It just, even at the outset, it just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It may sound familiar also because Satan is commonly referred to as Beelzebub in the New Testament. Beelzebub, by the way, means the prince of devils. The prince of devils. So King Isaiah sent his messengers to inquire of a demon, was the bottom line, and would open himself by doing so to deception. Basically, he opened himself to the manipulation of Satan. Question or questions. When faced with difficulties, what or who do you run to for answers? You know, remember I said at the very beginning, you know, it, 
when, when you come to a Bible study, when you come and hear the Word of God, and you realize that perhaps you're not in the right place, that's okay. Because as the Holy Spirit gives us conviction, us, and I include myself, when the Holy Spirit gives us conviction, it's at that point that we are faced with two choices. One, ignore it. Or number two, respond to it by confessing that, agreeing with God, that it's not right, it's sin, and turning from it. Those are the, really the only two choices that we, that we get. There's nothing in between. When faced with difficulties, what or who do you run to for answers? And, and do you completely accept the answer, or do you seek additional sources to satisfy your, your uncertainty? And finally, why do you seek additional sources if the answer or answers is sought for in the Bible? You know, sometimes we, we look for the answers to life and godliness in the Word, and, and yet we're not satisfied, we're not content. And we go outside of the Bible to, to see if maybe that's so. We have it backward. <laughs> like, when we hear... When someone gives us counsel, when someone gives us their advice, it should be that at that point we go to the Word and we verify whether what counsel they're giving us is sound or not sound. That's the way it should work. You know, 2 Peter 1.3, and I often quote this because this is something that we need to understand. This is, this is where we need to go time and time again, consistently, day in and day out, as we are faced with with difficult circumstances, situations, common everyday situations, whatever it, is, whatever it is, we need to remember 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so as we gain in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we get all the answers. That's that ancient wisdom. That, that's that, that godly wisdom, that biblical wisdom that we can have, get, gain the knowledge and learn to apply it. It becomes wisdom. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You know, when a, a person goes outside of the Word, outside of God, to seek answers to life and godliness, we do the same thing that King Ahaziah is doing. We open ourselves up to deception. If we do not hold this and make sure that that counsel is sound and in line with the Word of God. A person will seek answers from something he knows will answer how he wants the questions to be answered, even when it comes to issues pertaining to the church, to godliness. The thing is, is that we've been warned. Time and time again, we've been warned. And so the warning comes again. Careful. We need to be careful. In your first inclination, 
immediately. What do you go to? Who do you go to when you are dealt with, faced with a difficult situation? Is it simply the word? Is it dropping to your knees? Do you really seek the word or are you looking to have someone itch your itchy ears, to tickle your, your itchy ears that, that tell you what you want to hear? You know, because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, and, he's, and he writes this. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Again, we're, we're warned time and time again. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We're, we're warned about so many things. Uh, yesterday or the other day in, in the men's study, uh, we were talking about the law of sowing and reaping. Whatever it is that you sow, you're going to reap. I, I, I tell my boys all the time, you know, listen, you need to understand that this, you cannot go against, you cannot break, you, can, you cannot prove it wrong. You will prove it right every single time. You want to reap good things, you got to sow good. You, you want to reap holiness and righteousness, make sure that that is indeed what you are sowing. You, you reap what you sow. You know, God determined that this was an issue with King Ahaziah and a situation worth confronting and dealing with. And so God called on his faithful servant Elijah to confront the king and intercept the messengers he had sent to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. And this is what he told him. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub? the God of Ekron. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. <laughs> uh, these words, uh, that ref uh, they reflect the life of a genuine servant of, of the Lord. How many times does the Lord have to tell us? <laughs> he only told him once. He told him once, this is what you are to say, intercept the messengers and tell them this. And those three words, so Elijah went. That was it. That was it. A godly man who was sensitive to the voice of God and yielded to his word without delay. The church needs to take note. Because this is how it ought to be today in our lives. When God speaks, we respond. And we respond immediately because delayed obedience is disobedience. When you know to do right and fail to do it, to him it is sin, as it says in James. Well, let's continue. Elijah was told he went. In verse 5, it says, The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to, to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, what kind of man was he 
who uh, came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> now in verses 5 and 6, um, and just the exchange between King Isaiah and uh, those men that he had sent, the messengers, uh, it, it's implied by the king's response to the messengers' return that they had not been gone long enough to have gone all the way from Samaria to Ekron and returned with word. And so he's implying that you are back too soon. Why is it that you have returned so soon? And so he asked that question and they told the story that had taken place. On the way, there was a man who stopped us. He intercepted us on our, on our trip to Ekron. And this is what he told us. You know, the question itself, the question that was asked of the king is an indictment all in and of itself. It's a, it's a true charge. It's an accusation. The question was asked of the king. This man told us to ask you, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Again, and I mentioned one more time because we are inclined, we are prone to do this. When you seek counsel outside of God's word for things that pertain to God, is it because you don't really trust God? but do trust whatever other source you go to? Because that's what's being implied. This question here, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? That's what's being implied. This is an indictment. God already knows the heart of King Ahaziah. There's, there's a reason why it is that he did not send for the prophet Elijah. He, uh, he sent to receive word from the God of Ekron. From the Lord of the Flies. Some scripture to help us understand how we ought to love God and what idolatry is. Yeah, in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, there was an exchange between Jesus and the scribes. And it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard, him, heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is how we ought to love God, with, with, with our mind, with our soul, with our strength, with our might, everything. That should be who we are, not what we do, but who we are. If you will, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. Just to get a good, clear picture of what idolatry actually is and what it looks like. It's described so well in Isaiah chapter 44 that it leaves us with no excuse and no justification for seeking a God outside of the one true living God. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, and we'll start there, and we're just going to read through because it's self-explanatory, 
And, uh, and the Lord lays it out just in an amazing way in these verses. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts it, casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak tree. And lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an, ab an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? The Lord lays it out, right? There's, there's no discernment. I just to, to think with the very thing I, I fashioned into the likeness of man. The other parts I warned myself with as I built a fire. I cooked over it. There's no thought. There's no thought. You know, in Psalm 115, 4 through 8, says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. 
Any questions on, on, on idolatry? I mean, this is what it looks like. When you, when you know the truth, when you know reality, sometimes what we give ourselves to and what we trust in, it finally looks ridiculous. It actually looks pathetic. And there's a point where we need to confess that. If we're trusting in things outside of the one true God, we need to confess that. We need to instead go back and trust in the Lord, not in these things that can do nothing for us at all. By the way, this is why it would be important to confront someone like King Ahaziah, as to why it would be that he, the king of Israel, the king of God's people, would seek answers for things that only God has the answers to. He was set in that place to lead God's people. It would be like a pastor going outside of the word of God to get answers that God has the answers to. It is worth confronting. And it is commanded that a brother or a sister in Christ be confronted when they turn from God. Imagine if I relied on things outside of the word for things that the word has already spoken for. Would you bring that to my attention? God says this is worth confronting. There are too many who have been led astray or allowed themselves to go astray. They need to be confronted. They need to be exposed not for, for shame in order to just prop oneself up. But when someone is leading God's people in their dealing in false doctrines and reaching for things outside of the Bible for what the Bible has already spoken for, do not follow them and make sure that you confront them. It must be done. It is biblical to do so. Well, God sent Elijah to confront King Ahaziah. So the messengers told the king that he was not going to recover from his injuries and die. But it was because he had so he gave him the reason. It is because you have sought out false, a false God for the answers to which God has the answers for. And by the way, it wasn't the God of Ekron that brought you word. It was the servant of God who brought you word that you will not recover from the injuries that you have sustained. But look at what King Ahaziah was actually concerned with. He received this word, and what, was, what is the first thing that he addressed? Because this reveals where his heart is. He was more concerned with who said this. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? Who told you? Have you ever been confronted in, in the, the one thing that someone wants to know is not whether it's true or not. That ha Listen, that's inconsequential, right? You told me something that was true and, and, and it should really be convicting my heart, but who told you? He was more concerned with who told him this. He suspected Elijah. And when they described Elijah to him, he said, oh yeah, that's, that's Elijah. In fact, when John the Baptist came, he came dressed in the same way. 
That's why they, they asked him, are you Elijah? He came in the spirit of Elijah. Well, his father, King Ahaziah's father, King Ahab, remember he hated Elijah. What did he hate him for? He spoke the truth. He said, oh, he never prophesies anything good concerning me, but he, he always prophesies something that, that's evil. Well, he speaks the truth. Well, Elijah hasn't changed. He simply is speaking God's word as it was given to him. There was no point in calling on Elijah, but it seemed to be worth something of value to the king, and he sent for him. There's no point in calling someone that had, that, that's brought word to us. There's, there's no point. Why are you going to call them out? They just spoke the truth. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger, right? Just know if it's God's word, acknowledge it as God's word. There's no further follow-up for you except for, for you to acknowledge, confess, and repent, whatever it, whatever it is that it may be. But he sent for him. Verse 9 says, Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. The, the king sent one of his leaders uh, in, within the military, a captain and his 50 men. To, basically, he was sent to capture Elijah and bring him back. The captain addressed Elijah as a man of God, which is, was an acknowledgement of who Elijah truly was. But when the captain ordered Elijah to come down, he said, come down, it's the king's order, come down. Elijah did not comply. He was on top of the hill. They came. This was simply the order of the king. He should have followed it, right? Because the king said so. You know, many times people will refer to Romans 13 to serve as a text which commands Christians to comply with the government in all aspects and in all situations when anything is brought before you, ordered to do. But we're going to get to Romans 13 in our Sunday studies. We're going to get there and we're going to clarify a lot of things. Because upon closer study of that chapter, we see how those whom God has appointed have been appointed to carry out justice and to uphold rule and order that is in line with good conduct. Let me ask you a question, and I'll make it real simple. Who determines what is good? Oh, it's not us? It's not the government? No, no. Who does? You know who's determined what is good, what is moral, is the word. It's God. It is for this reason that Peter and the other disciples had a clear conscience when they were ordered to cease from teaching about Jesus Christ by the governing authorities of the, their day. And what did they do? They 
refused to comply, right? They refused to comply. The command to submit to govern, governing authorities is, is never absolute. What is absolute? The Word of God is absolute. As Christians, our greater authority is always God. It is always God's Word. If the command is ungodly and immoral, then it is our responsibility, and we are accountable to resist, not for the sake of resisting, but to maintain our integrity before the Lord and to disregard that which is ungodly and immoral. It is our Christian duty as servants of the Most High. Well, Elijah made a statement that would test whether he was truly a man of God or not. You called me a man of God. And we need to also understand that he could have never called fire down from heaven if it wasn't first ordained by God and allowed by the Almighty. The fire did come down from heaven, and it was an immediate act of judgment against these men who were following through with immoral and ungodly orders. It was these servants that followed through with that. Now, as we think about this, some people, they claim that, well, Elijah, he called down for the destruction of these men. He shouldn't have done that. Okay, well, let's go back to the time of Moses. You know the story of Moses and when he was telling Pharaoh to release his, God's people to go and, and sacrifice and worship God. And he wouldn't do that. Did God not bring judgment to Pharaoh in Egypt? He did. Let's fast forward now to the New Testament because there's, there's ample evidence. Let's fast forward to immediate judgment. There was a couple. They were united. They were of the same mind. They colluded. They agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit. Their names, Ananias and Sapphira. Just because a husband and wife are on the same page does not mean that they are righteous or holy or making sound decisions. These two, as Peter spoke, and so it was an immediate judgment, right? First Ananias fell, and then a little bit later, here comes his wife. Did you both agree to do this? And she, she confessed that, yes, we agreed to do that. And so she went right along with the plan, and boom, she dropped too. Immediate judgment. And there's other situations, other evidence of God's immediate judgment. Now, in this case, it was Elijah. And it was this ungodly, immoral command that was given to bring back a man of God. And they addressed him as the man of God to come down immediately. Or to come down at this point in the first, with the first captain and come with us to see King Ahaziah. Well, God determined that it was indeed just, and upon his command and power, he, he, God, unleashed fire and consumed the captain and his 50 men. If this was not right and these men were in the right, then no matter how much Elijah spoke and cried and screamed and spoke it, he would have never spoken it into existence. It would not have happened the way it did, but it did. Verse 11, let's take a look at the second group. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50, 
And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So here was the second captain with his group of fifty men. They did the same. The only thing is that this captain demanded boldly, he commanded Elijah to come down, but not just come down, but come down quickly, come down now. You know, when as parents, we, we start to get a little upset, we, we start calling out and we say, do it now, right? You got to clench those teeth and now, right? <laughs> you, you guys know about that. I'm sure you've never had to do that, right? Do it now. And that's, that's how it came when the second captain uh, came across Elijah. This is how, how it was. It's come down quickly. This time the command was more bold. It was more demanding, especially since he knew what had happened to the first captain and his men. That was interesting. He knew what had taken place. Fire came down from heaven and consumed him. And now here was the second captain and his 50 men, and we're different. We're going to come and speak in the name of King Ahaziah, and you need to come down, and you need to come down quickly. As I considered this, I, I thought, this is a picture of the world. Because they don't get how the Lord works. And the world, what they do is they don't give up. The world will send more to oppose God's people because they don't believe our God. They don't believe that he's real. They don't know and nor they do, do they believe that he has absolute power. He is almighty God. He is the creator of the universe. He sustains all life. They don't believe that. So they send more, more and more to oppose. And yet, the will of God will never be thwarted. It doesn't matter if you take my life. It doesn't matter if you oppose me. No one, no one can stop the will of our God. He is God Almighty, and there's none other beside him. He is it. And so that's what I, I can rest in that. I can trust in that. I can walk confidently with him. Keep in mind, think about Elijah's response. He was, he was so sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to the voice of God, that it only took one time for him to be told where, where to go and what to say to whom, and he went. That was it. He was on top of this hill and he sees the captain and his 50 men coming. And he calls fire to come down from heaven and it does and consumed him. Remember, Elijah trusted God. And he trusted that God knew why they were sent to him. To do something ungodly and immoral and they were also consumed with fire from heaven, just as the first group. Remember, God said, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is... He can, he can apply vengeance perfectly. We cannot. So we leave it to him. That's why, again, we can, we can walk confidently with him. 
with, with the gentle spirit, and yet with the strength of God. His word is true. We can always stand solidly on his word, and he always has the last word. And it is sure, and it comes about, and it will judge accordingly. Verse 13 says, Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to, to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So the king said, sends a third captain, a captain with 50 of his men to bring Elijah back. And this time he's approached differently. The captain comes and he, and he kneels before Elijah. He falls to his knees. He entreats him. In other words, he, he's asking him for mercy. He's, um, he's humbly requesting that uh, he not do what he did with the other two groups. He pleaded with them for, the, for his own life and for the life of his men. And notice that he, re, he referred to himself and his men as servants of Elijah. We come to you, we're, we're yielding to you. Please spare us. We, we just have a simple job to do. We mean no harm. We just want to bring you back to the king. And again, the angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah and told him to not fear and go with this captain, to go with him. I asked the question, why this time? Why not the other times? It's believed that the other two times the king and the captains expressed a complete disregard for the God of Elijah, and acted in a way that expressed disbelief and a disrespect of God. There was absolutely no honor. There was no way. They, they, they weren't desiring to hear from the God of Elijah. In other words, because they did not acknowledge God, Elijah would not have been taken seriously. You know, you, you ever have someone who completely disregards God? Have you ever tried to talk to someone like that? It's difficult, isn't it? I, I have no respect for your God. Not even a little bit. I will speak blasphemy if, if I want to. I will do whatever. And yet I've known people that have been there. And at some point, something happens. God turns their heart a bit towards him. And then they're open and willing to receive. Well, that's the desire of God. Because he wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his desire. He doesn't want not one person to perish, including King Ahaziah, 
including King Ahab, including Jezebel, including Pharaoh. It's every single person. But at this time, the captain and the men approached Elijah humbly and with reverence toward Elijah's God. And it was not that Elijah was allowed to go to the king prior to this. This was God's perfect timing. He came to him with the same word. Because the question is, how often is God mocked by the world? People oftentimes won't listen until they believe that there is truly a God. Well, King Isaiah is ready to listen. It seems that way. And God tells Elijah to go without fear. And when Elijah is brought before the king, he speaks the same words as he had spoken to the king's messengers. The same words that were given to him by the angel of the Lord were the same words that he shared with the messengers, were the same words that he spoke to the king personally face to face. There was no change. There was no intimidation. There was nothing. It was the same thing. Why? Because... Elijah honored and feared the Lord even above the king who could take his life. Don't fear the one who can, who can kill you. Fear the one who can kill you. And then send you into eternal condemnation. We need to be more like Elijah. You know, Elijah was a, was a person just like you and me. Think about that. Was it great faith? No, it was just simply faith. You know, sometimes we, we look at faith like this and we think, wow, I wish I could be like Elijah or John the Baptist or Paul or Peter or James, Titus, Timothy. Oh, how... How amazing that would be. No, you know what? If you're given a little bit more faith, a greater measure of faith to him, to her, there will be greater responsibility. You will be held accountable for the faith that you've been given. Do you exercise the little faith that you've been given? Because it just takes a little bit to move mountains. Imagine what the church would be what you could do and be used for if you just simply express the faith that God has already given you. For Elijah, there was no change, no intimidation. Verse 17, So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Isaiah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Isaiah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So it happened just as God said it would. Just as Elijah communicated, prophecy was fulfilled. Indeed, it was proven that he was a man of God, a prophet of God, sent by God to speak the words that God had given him. This king, King Isaiah, was an utter failure. Under his rule, his weakness was the cause of Moab's rebellion. He misused the military to go after a man of God. And after having experienced an accident, he sought the counsel of an idol. He was a deceived man who led others, 
who were deceived. And yet we have the contrast, again, of Elijah, as, as we, we have seen through and through. Truly wonderful. I'm going to leave you with this, and found in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 14. These are Peter's final words that he wrote in this letter. It's written in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for examples like Elijah, who are obedient. Lord, even in what we just read, you warn us of the things that may come, uh, portions of Scripture that sometimes are difficult to understand, and yet, Lord, not impossible to understand. Lord, that we may grow in our understanding of your word and walk in sound wisdom, sound doctrine, that we may bring you glory and pass along that understanding of your word to others, that they too may reflect your word and its soundness and live it out in their own lives. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord. May we also learn from the example of King Ahaziah that we would not be idolaters, Lord, that we would uh, realize and understand and acknowledge, Lord, that uh, an idolater, Lord, is a worshiper of self in, in the end, Lord. That, that is where it begins and that's where it ends, Lord. And, and idolatry leads to destruction, deception, Lord. We open ourselves up to be deceived. And so I pray, Father, and I ask of you, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would remind us of your word. Lord, that in, in any situation that we come across in our daily lives, that that would be for us the counsel that we need to navigate through those times in a manner that is fitting to the follower with the follower of Jesus Christ, uh, to one who walks in truth and in the fullness of your counsel. And so, Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. Crown us with the wisdom. Fill us with your spirit. Give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>